Welcome to Las Doctoras Podcast. Led by our intuition, we are creating space for conversations, asking critical questions, and interrogating the oppressive systems of power we live in. We are your hosts. I am Dr. Renee Limas, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a Cancer Sun and Moon with Pisces Rising, Mother of Water. I am Dr. Christina Rose, pronouns she, they, Virgo Sun, Aquarius Moon, Gemini Rising, Mother of Earth. We are grounded in a connection to ancestral wisdom. Our work is to heal the wounds of generational trauma, that is of white male and cis hetero supremacy, all while we create a way of being that celebrates, truly revels in the joy of our families and our community. Join us on our journey, not toward perfection, but into reflection, immersed in compassionate self-awareness and courageous action. Come, sit at our kitchen table, sip on some tequila with us, and let's change our world. Salud! Welcome, welcome to Las Doctoras. Welcome. Exciting conversations on gender, sexuality. Yeah, so welcome to this episode. Um, maybe we should talk about all that's going on. We're in the middle of our writing course right now, um, depending on when this gets published. Our second session of it, I guess, and the mm-hmm. winter session, and we're mm-hmm. looking to the spring for yep. some more. And mm-hmm. So you can go to lasdoctoras.net slash writing to our ancestors to um, sign up for our waiting list. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. our spring session is in the works and we're really excited to kind of be expanding some of that offering. We love teaching these courses. It feels so attuned with our purpose and the, the work we're doing, our own healing. Yeah, and we also have... Our book club, I think we're going to be announcing probably around the time this gets aired, we'll be announcing our next book. So excited. Also, just I feel like we have some few more other things in the mm-hmm. works that we can't disclose. So <laughs> um, just so much creativity, so yes. much beauty, so much um, yes. collaboration. It's like exponential. It just feels like magic. Yes, I guess my word these days, but yes. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's it's so exciting. A lot of the things that we kind of have have in the works. Yeah, it feels really it feels really nice. So, but we're here today. We are (laughs) wanting to to go again in deep, yeah, vulnerable, and yeah, we've. I think you said this yesterday. We've been circling around something, (laughs) a, a topic for quite a minute, and it's. It's not menstruation. It's not money. <laughs> it's not body. Well, kind of body, but maybe a little bit. Mm, yeah. Body politics or maybe mm, it's sexuality. It's mm-hmm. sensuality. It's pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> yeah. I think similar yeah. to the top, you know, when we talked about body politics and we, we had kind of had that topic in mind for a long time, but knew that it would require a certain amount of vulnerability. So we kind of were hesitant. I think Mm -hmm. similarly, we've been, you know, behind the scenes discussing, like we really need to talk about sexuality in general 
our sexuality journeys in particular, but it is, it does require that vulnerability that feels kind of scary. <laughs> and so we come together in this uh, safe space. I'm going to go public. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, this safe space in trust and, and, to, and just, we're going to just start this conversation. We're going to see where it goes and we're going to. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> I think um, I'm like, where can we start? Or Renee's going to ask like the big question. No, I, I mean, I'm like, where can we start? I mean, I think that I mean, and this is really interesting because we are both in, we're both professors in departments where we talk about sexuality and we talk about the con the social constructs of sexuality and we're able to speak to those from a certain perspective. Scholarly. Yeah, from, yeah, right? And we're also, like, we're able to kind of create this, articulation framework. of it a yeah. framework framework right and an understanding of sexuality and I think that there might even be times in the space of our classrooms or in the space of the university mm -hmm. where we're able to kind of speak from our positionality but I think in mm -hmm. more public space mm -hmm. I, there's a certain safety I think sometimes we feel in the university right like in the intimacy of our classrooms with our students but this feels yeah. like something very much more public so let's I mean I think that we can say let's just let's start from there so for us to ease into it is like when we teach about sexuality in our classrooms Mm -hmm. and the nuance of sexuality where you know where do we start there like how do we explain it to our students right I think I will say that when we when I discuss sexuality it, it's coming off of like gender right and how we are socialized into this gender binary mm -hmm. and that you know there is the idea that if you are born with a vulva and a vagina you are immediately labeled a girl who will be a woman who will innately be attracted to men only right and if you are born with a penis you are a boy you will mm -hmm. be a man who will be attracted to women only and then the two shall cross right like that is that's the trajectory that's the line um and yeah that we are socialized into those things, right? Like immediately labeled a girl. And so A, B, and C, right? This is what it means to be a girl. This is what it means to have the experience of a girl and mm -hmm. you know, you're treated accordingly. And the expectation of that, of, you know, this is how you're supposed to act. This is who you're supposed to be attracted to. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you kind of just, you know, we grow, you know, we, we, yeah, we are, we live in that kind of society. And when we start to deconstruct that, right. When we start to deconstruct gender and saying, it's not a binary, mm -hmm. what does that mean for deconstructing sexuality? <laughs> so, yes, that is where I start. And actually, before I, I get into it, um, three things came up. I got two notifications on my phone, one from Chani Nicholas. I got the Chani one, too. <laughs> about how we're in this, you know, the week of pleasure, which is mm -hmm. great, a reminder mm -hmm. for us. And the other mm -hmm. one I got from CoStar was about 
not being afraid to be an outsider. There is no shame in being an outsider, which is so interesting. And although I, I would say what we're talking about, there is no, I mean, in truth, there is no inside and outside. There is though a construction of binaries that, that we've lived into. So also I, I'm thinking about from our Oracle deck, the card that's mm. coming to mind is joy. Mm-hmm. And it is this outline of a child, um, a child, right? No, mm-hmm. no, no sense of what, you know, gender, there's no mm-hmm. need to describe mm-hmm. it, just with their arms stretched out wide and their feet stretched out wide, kind of like fully just living into their body mm-hmm. and the colors orange. And so that's where I start, honestly. And mm-hmm. I think having a kid really is mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. this comes into play quite a lot because, you know, when we were birthing or before we were birthing and the what what sex or what gender right and um (laughs) gender reveal parties Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. colors schemes and um, language around Mm -hmm. strength or beauty um, or the expect i i was told a lot especially when we knew that santos had a penis (laughs) um and there was the oh your life is now gonna be dirty you know their kids are gonna be dirty all the time and they're gonna be rambunctious and the the expectation of of their personality right there was already these expectations of their personality and not to say that that's where it started honestly i think it just accentuated kind of like this year the pandemic has or you Mm -hmm. know um Mm -hmm. the pan the the crisis around the pandemics understanding both the covid but also like white supremacy and you know um male supremacy but it's just having a child accentuated Mm -hmm. the need to be able to talk about these things. And so Mm -hmm. I approach it with my students. I teach a class on gender, sex, the body and politics. And the first book we read is called the gender wheel, right? It's Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. this book for, it looks like it's for children. Mm -hmm. It just approaches the topic. It says, Hey, binaries are made up. Mm -hmm. This is where they come from. They come from colonial, white supremacist, um, male supremacist thinking. That's yeah. where they come from. And, they, and these binaries serve to empower whiteness and maleness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we look at our roots, if we look at our ancestor roots, again, this is what Maya Gonzalez talks about in the gender will, and I really much appreciate it. And I love the colors and the schemes. Mm-hmm. The, the sense of gender sexuality is a, is a circle. It's cyclical. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a, a line. Again, mm-hmm. these are all very philosophical ways of thinking of the yeah. world, right? Um, linear, going upwards, downwards versus horizontal, or you know the cycle, circle, yeah. or limited versus expansive. I mean, that's because <sighs> so I much. think too, like yeah. when we talk about gender and sexuality, it's always within these confines, right? Of like, this is what it means to be a girl, mm-hmm. you know, and there's and it's like, and you can't go outside of that right you can't step outside of that gender box um, or or sexuality box and rather than seeing gender as and I've been kind of learning from you know a lot of like queer studies and queer theory to it's even beyond a spectrum right it's that Mm -hmm. it's just like this multi-layered understanding of identity and of self and 
that is much more expensive. There doesn't need to be any kind of container. <laughs> and it's not compartmentalized or, either. Yes. Gender, sex, sexuality, um, gender expression, gender identity. They're all a part of who makes uh, what makes up an individual who yeah. is living into their life. And the other aspect I love, not to shout out this book so much, but I do really love it, is there is a part of the gender world that's a question. It's like the unknown. Mm. It is the space of, of to grow into, you know, mm-hmm. which of mm-hmm. course is the other part. And so you're right. At the university, at the Queer Resource Center, um, in in women and in gender studies in our field, there is a curiosity, a playfulness, and also an understanding of um, our our framework of the world is different than the one that we were passed down to as children. Most of us. Not all mm-hmm. of us, you know, mm-hmm. some of us actually were raised with a more expansive way of thinking. I, I don't know if I know anyone, like that, but <laughs> well, um, I think, but that world yeah. at the university is so different than when we go home mm. to our parents, our grandparents, mm. our primos, you know, like, like, yeah. we, I mean, there is a reason why we're the weird ants, you know, like we're, why we're the, why we're those people in our family, because like, it is a whole other paradigm, you know? It's, it's a, yeah, it's so interesting. You have me thinking of a few things of um, like when I would go with family, I'm like, I'm not going to say who, <laughs> family and they would say oh my you know crews they would say oh he's so cute he's gonna get all the girls and I would immediately say or boys like (laughs) and I would get this like uh maybe an eye roll like I would just kind of get this like okay you know this yeah it's it which is like that's weird that I'm the one that gets the weird response right but it was it's my interjection of like you know, again, why are we, and mind you, this was like, he was like five and, um, you know, oh, or um, I feel like forever they've been like, Oh, Jaguar is going to be such a lady killer. And I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, I do. I'm just like, I'm like, we, did, did yeah. You hear, did, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> um, when Cruz was in preschool, he had one of his really good friends and preschool and a kindergarten, his friends were girls like, you know, and, they were always like, oh, you know, he's friends with a girl. And I'll, it just bothered me so much because as if they're like five and making out in the corner, right? Like, I don't know. It was just this weird thing. Um, I'm, I'm picturing those um, paintings or those pictures of little kids dressed yes. up as adults doing like romantic yes. things together and how problematic that is. Yeah. And it has me thinking of, you know, the because it, it's having kids, it really accentuates how we kind of because we have our own struggle with gender and sexuality and wanting to have offer our kids a much more expansive um opportunity to come Mm -hmm. into their gender and sexuality and it has me reflecting on those moments that created those limiting like you know that limited the opportunities i think a lot about when i was i think it was fifth grade and my best friend, you know, who was a girl and we would hold hands because we were best friends. And there was this whole moment where I was called into, like, we had to have this parent teacher conference and my mom and my teacher. And basically she told my mom that we could no longer hold hands because it made people uncomfortable. 
I mean, that's not just, <laughs> I want to just reflect on how that is, that is particularly puritanical American, you know, North American, United States of America. Mm-hmm. Because and this is Catholic school, white teacher. Yeah. There is a whole other, yeah, there's many cultures where that's not a thing, but the hypersexualization of that, right? Like, like that is wild. And and to me, it being a fifth grader, which meant I was what like ten, I in the moment I did not understand why. And you know, my mom's reaction was, "Well, the teacher says you can't do it, so you just need to stop doing it." And so it Have was like so- feeling immediately shamed for something that I didn't even understand was wrong it actually it wasn't wrong <laughs> no it wasn't and There's, mm-hmm. yeah and then I just want to say because after that subsequently when I was I think like starting in seventh grade again because me and my best friend were so close um we were called lesbians and it wasn't it was clearly meant as an insult meant clearly meant as like uh, to make fun of us or to ostracize us or to like put this label of again outsider and that continued until I was like in college and now yeah I'm like until I graduated high school you know because of the way I wore my hair because of the way I dressed because of the way I acted um there was this like imposition of like oh you must be a lesbian right and which on the other hand I was like super boy crazy (laughs) however Um, It has me questioning at this point in my life, had I not had those moments, right, where I understood that holding a girl's hand was wrong, where I was called a lesbian as an insult, had those things not happened to me, would I have been more willing to explore my attraction, sexuality outside of heteronormative ideas and so, I mean, I literally had this moment like a couple years ago. I was like, wait, <laughs> um, because they're on the opposite hand. I was in a conversation with people who were saying there was somebody that they knew that was kind of mm, questioning both gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And one person said, oh, it's just because they hang out with a bunch of other lesbians that they're they're mm-hmm. starting to question their sexuality. And I thought, wait. By that logic, <laughs> we should all question our sexuality because that we logic- hang out with cis-heteronormative like, people all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ex- and that's what I said. I said, by that logic, then am I straight because I only hang out with straight people? And then I was like, wait, am I straight because I only hang out with straight people? I so- literally had to question that I god I'm just like I love this I call this conversation I feel like my whole body is just like on fire like literally it just feels it so much because this is I think we've explored this a little bit in our previous episodes but this is another similarity we share Mm. not just that we grew up in a culture where leading um holding hands led to sex which is something like I heard growing up in high school and my Christian school but also my you know my first experience of love is um through friendship or through the love of another woman, you know, and that sense of what love means, the, the safety, the joy, the curiosity, the all, all of the beautiful things that make up um, my sense of love, many of them come from my relationships with women from a, a young age, you know, mm-hmm. and 
also people responded in by um, <laughs> saying, you know, saying that we calling using the word lesbian mm -hmm. to to call it out, to shame it, you know, mm -hmm. to shame that. And I was always so caught off guard. I, I feel like it both minimized like our, my relationships with my, what I would, you know, my friends. I also feel like it kind of sexualized them. Mm -hmm. And it did make it, like I either had to, I had to take a stand in a way that mm -hmm. I, I don't think I was really, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're, I'm 16, 17. Like I, I'm not like, this is the times in our lives where I hope for my child that I've created a container so that they can explore mm -hmm. and talk to me just like mm -hmm. now, you know, the fact that we do have five two five-year-olds is so interesting how and you have an older one too which is so interesting too like the what was what was I like at five what was I like <laughs> at six what were my yeah. my parents like with me mm -hmm. um I feel like the question of whether the labeling to shame really yeah did us this disservice and maybe mm -hmm. it was a few years ago but that same question you know um how much of that shaming led to me responding with more cis hetero ways of being or mm -hmm. or even respond against it like shaving my head or mm -hmm. you know doing things that were performative mm. potentially but and or curious I'm not sure it's a lot there's a lot in there mm -hmm. um but what was the where was my energy like kind of forcedly taken from me because yep. of these interactions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, later on, I, I think we've all experienced actually um, relationships, um, cishetero relationships with men where toxic masculinity was just a part of it. So later on in my life, experiencing trauma because of toxic masculinity, you know, but always feeling maybe because of all the stories we grew up reading, you know, or because of all the movies or because of the shaming, like, oh, but I'm, I'm supposed to be with a man. Mm. I'm supposed to be experience romantic love. My sense of love should come from this person. Mm. And it would overshadow the sense of love I have between me and my girlfriends, you know? Mm -hmm. And even my sense of pleasure, sexual pleasure with a man should overshadow my sense of sexual pleasure with myself, Ooh. you know? And, and I think those were awful lies. You know, honestly, I, I don't want to spend the episode talking about toxic masculinity and violence. I think, I, I think I, I, one things that you're, that you pointed out, right? Like the romanticizing of toxic masculinity and that through that, like toxic masculinity is what validates our worth. Because I think that that's something that we learn. That's it. Really that is it. Young is that if we get the attention of a boy, mm -hmm. then we have value. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I think it, my boy craziness, was it really about being attracted to these boys or was it about seeking the validation 
that I wanted through gaining the attention of boys, right? Yeah, it's a power play, right? It's learning how to play with that power. And that took up a lot of my time. (laughs) And and it distracted me from, I think just, and I, you know, I want to say it distracted me from living into love or living into my sensuality or living Mm -hmm. into my creativity Mm-hmm. I want to say that, but I know we are survivors. And actually, I also know that we are thrivers. Like there, we have somehow, I, I can think of high school, I can think of college. And despite great trauma due to toxic masculinity, the romanticizing of toxic masculinity within myself, right? Mm-hmm. I have some beautiful memories of mm. real love. And they, they keep me whole holding on and hopeful of continuing to create greater, a greater sense of love for myself, you know? And if I now were, you know, I would have thought I've I've done this in my life when I was dating, like, oh, this should look like that love with that guy. Mm. And now I think, no, this should look like that love with that friend, you know, my girl, that my, my good friend. (laughs) Yeah. That's how that should look. That's yeah. Um, I, I, again, I hear so much of like the idea of, you said, finding validation through external attraction or whatever, right? Totally distracts us from our own self-pleasure, our own self-love. And like you said, what, I think even more so than what a relationship should look like, it's something that I've been coming into is recognizing that also part of the toxic masculinity, also part of white supremacy patriarchy is that only one person can meet all of our needs. And that it, and that is usually for women that should be through a man, right? One, Mm -hmm. it's the one, it's the knight in shining armor. It's the Prince charming. It's all of that. That's going to come and save you and be your everything. That's a lot of pressure to put on one person. Right. And, and a lot of expectation that, maybe we can say not only does do you one person not have to meet that but I can have multiple people (laughs) to meet all of my needs and it's not um it's not a you know because I I you know hearing things like emotional cheating or you know like you can't have emotional relationships with people outside of your partnership because that counts as cheating and i'm like well what the fuck like if my emotional needs are not being met it's not like it's i want to like say that i've been called out for emotional a- cheating for so much of my life you know <laughs> they're like oh the jealousy this like and Je- that pressure yeah. and that pressure both harms us and our and the men in our lives you know those you know like and I think there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know I mean I'm still kind of playing with a lot of this language you know in my own relationship and stuff but just really even me being able to embrace and saying like emotional does not necessarily have to lead to sex right Mm -hmm. um and that we can have the different our needs met by different people and you know, the cheating for me comes in if, if you're not transparent with, you know, if you if you are in a monogamous relationship, whatever, like in a partnership, like if you're choosing not to communicate, mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole other thing. 
That is. But if my partner knows that my emotional needs are being met by somebody else, regardless of gender, and they're okay with it, then, you know, like, I don't need one person to. to, I hope, I hope Tommy thanks me a lot. No. (laughs) (laughs) And Zach should thank you a lot for providing, you know, for my, I'm, I'm a lot happier in our in our friendship and you know without it so yeah I think that's something you and I've been stepping into like the idea of like marriage is not at the center of life right like marriage can be one type of well you know and I mean whatever however we're defining marriage but like marriage partnership is not at the center of life and that we can have all these things and and I think that's still just one layer of the larger our larger understanding of, of our identities, of our sexual identities, um, Mm -hmm. because partnerships and emotional relationships is one thing. And, um, I think sexual relationships, pleasure is, is another layer onto that. And I mean, I will say that, yeah, I've been, (laughs) I'm like, I've been doing a lot of questioning lately because I think something else that we had talked about yesterday is, and some, I, sometimes I kind of bring this into my classroom when we talk about sexuality in terms of like debates around gay marriage, right? And mm-hmm. people who are in opposition to, you know, gay marriage, right? Or whatever. Oh, I totally believe in them, their love, but they just can't get married, you know? Or, I- and to say, because it's a choice, right? And so oftentimes the the comeback needs to be like, it's not a choice, you know, and we're born this way, right? The whole like Lady Gaga thing. And I think that again, when we do a lot of like queer study, queer theory, there are Mm -hmm. a lot of queer people, queer folks of color who have been intentional and saying, it really doesn't matter if it's innate or if it is a choice, right? Or- And, And you're thinking of, we talked about Alok, um, yes. that we follow. Yes. And the, and their work on calling that out, that it's, yeah, that it can't like, because it's like, we can't actually choose to be queer, right. We can choose those things. And I mean, and there's a whole, um, I'm like, there's a whole lineage of, of queer folks, again, queer folks of color who said that their sexuality, um, their sexual preferences, their sexual choices are political right and they made their their choices based on 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 politics and um i I, there's a an essay that i have my students read from this bridge called my back where Mm -hmm. she says feminism is the theory lesbianism is the practice (laughs) and i think it's so interesting because it and again that's you know we can we can dissect that and deconstruct that but it's still this like nuance it's a it's a layer of nuance to understanding sexuality outside of not only the binary but also the binary of choice versus like what is it nature versus nurture right like can you make somebody gay or is it a choice or can they choose you know what i mean and it's like at the end of the day it doesn't fucking matter yeah because it's a false (laughs) binary there is no this this construction of the, the nature nurture who does that serve like what is it for? right and you why know? do we have to figure that out like if somebody whether if it's innate or if they choose at the end of the day I mean that's I mean anyway <laughs> but you All know the that. conversation about the political is so interesting and it's like the term women of color you know like mm-hmm. to being taking a stand as a woman of color is important to stand mm-hmm. with them um, 
a movement that has wanting to wanting to recognize you know whiteness within like our our lives but also there's more nuance to my own relationship as a woman of color you know like i know yeah. that is mm. my own thing and i feel like that's very similar with with um queerness on one level for me too mm-hmm. political and then when it comes to be personal it is so personal that's why we're skirting we're like talking <laughs> about these things and then the other thing is i want to say as we begin to talk more about sexuality or sensuality or expressions of those things I want to say, you know, in the pandemic, it's so interesting. I almost feel like this conversation is like a Pinterest board that I have <laughs> because it's like, I'll just put all these things in my Pinterest board that I, I can't wait to explore. It's like the room I want to create when mm. I finally, you know, or the travels I want to go because quarantining does not allow for much, you know, <laughs> um, action and exploration, right? Yeah, I um, agree. Already, of course... Uh, the world we live in, finding spaces to explore and be creative. I wish I'm kind of like, dang, I should have done that in college, you know, <laughs> because it it's 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 tricky to yeah. explore those in our day to day lives just in general. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to say is being um, a parent, um, a provider of children in the pandemic takes a lot of this energy. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. It is, it's a lot to do that. It's yeah. a new thing. It takes, it takes from, you know, the energy that we might put into any, any creative mm, or, yeah. or pleasurable expressions, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think your capacity to try new things, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, or for exploration is limited, you know, given the current circumstances. And I want to come back to when you talk when we talk about like queerness and the identity of or being queer as political and personal and I mean I know we're still skirting around it and I think that that's the thing of what it what does it mean to okay so let's just start here right you identify as queer <laughs> Yeah, And we can talk about that. And I will say that I think for me, (laughs) this has been a very difficult thing Mm. to make sense of in my own head because I know what I feel, Mm -hmm. but I think there is, what does it mean to publicly call Mm. yourself queer? What connotations does that have? What, um, so on one hand, I'm like, <laughs> I can, I can, I can speak to it. I can okay, speak to some of those I'm things. Like, I can. You're yeah. like, what do I ask? What do I ask? I mean, I, no, I'm not so, trying to, I'm trying to step into my own, like, you are, stuff, I know, but go. <laughs> I love it too. Okay. So I think on one level, right. Saying I'm queer says I reject this binary mm, of gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's not even, it's, it's not, it's, it's so far from my, my sense of who I am. Mm-hmm. And my sense of the world mm-hmm. and um and and in regards to like the sense of who I am, it's met by really personal experiences, right? So having experienced a real sense of love, you know, that I spoke to before mm-hmm. um with with someone of you know not the opposite sex, another <laughs> binary, right? I totally reject, yeah. you know, like yeah, and not just experiencing feelings of love, but I also having 
<laughs> uh, uh, sexual experiences mm-hmm. with other women. Mm-hmm. I remember them so concretely, not just because of how much pleasure there was, though there's that, you know, I, I, I guess I keep on wanting to say, I remember when the first time I, I kissed another woman and I was mm-hmm. just like, holy. <laughs> like, where has this been all my life? Like what? That was just like kissing like magic chocolate, silk chocolate. Like, like that mm-hmm. was yes. Hello. Like there's no other like yes. Um, but also in further sexual experiences, being like, there are no effing rules. Mm. So I want a queer sexuality too, because there was a sense from a very mm. young age, right? What sex looked like. And I, it is hard in a cis hetero relationship, though I think it still can be there. Like, you know, the work that um, Anne does, one of our friends, like, I think you can still bring full force feminine sexual energy, but a cis hetero uh, relationship, relationships wants to put it into this narrative where it's like penis, vagina, sex, you know, (laughs) done, you know, like male orgasm. Oh, that was sex. You know, like, yeah my it's it was a it was a sexual experience with other women that helped me like say oh that's an effing lie that's not what sex looks like sex can look like anything i want it to look like that we want it to Mm. look like that brings us pleasure and Mm. so then being able to take that into all of my sexual experiences moving forward that is another reason why i identify as queer yeah so I think where I, I resonate is, is um, that de- like breaking out of that binary. So when you say queer, like queer sexuality, you're using queer as a verb, right? To queer something. To yeah, something I'm queering the, philo- the philosophy of sexuality. I'm yeah, queering, queering the love. Ex- queering love, queering the expressions of pleasure, right. right? Which is to say that, again, it's, stepping into a much more expansive idea of what that means and stepping out of the necessity to create those stagnant labels, right? To say I am hetero or I am even to say gay or lesbian or whatever is still within these binaries and queer allows for a much more. And and again, I think it's important to recognize that our understanding and this understanding of queer that we're articulating comes off of a lot of queer folks of color who have politicized queerness, right? And have done a lot of work inside and outside of the university, a lot of scholarship, a lot of writing about this, you know? And so we're able to kind of then apply that, you know, to our own lives. And I think that I, I, that's where my challenge comes in is, is still kind of this idea of what does it mean if I call myself queer and ascribing that label and on one end the way I grapple with it is if my family like yeah you can already, you can already tell like, like what if, family to say to us right right like, if they like, say if they say if they were to hear emotional me, cheating already <laughs> if they were to hear me say I identify as queer all it would open up a box of worms and say the first question would be but you are in a uh-huh. marriage mm-hmm. and a monogamous relationship, right? With a man, with a cis man, how does that make sense? Not because their concern is for me, 
but because their concern is for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that you are cheating on, right? Like this now, like somehow queerness equals promiscuity equals like all these other things. I think people think that in my family for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it becomes this, like they're trying to protect him and the sanctity of our marriage you know, um, and again, me, this is my own projection. You know, I don't really know because I've never actually done that. I've never identified as queer publicly. And on the other end, I think is there is a sense of, and I think we kind of talked about this yesterday too, is because regardless of our identities or how we feel or what or the per- political personal way we identify, we are in relationships with in partnerships, right, with cis men. And so there is privilege in that in the world, right? When we walk out in the world holding hands with my husband, you know, that I'm legally married to and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. There is privilege in that. And I've lived that type of privilege, at least publicly, my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Meaning I've never been in a public relationship with a woman. (laughs) I've never had to live that life. And so sometimes I'm like, can I identify as queer when I have not had that experience, right? I have not had the experience of walking in the world and being, you know, and then at the same time, <laughs> and these are the questions, this is my inner dialogue, right? Like I, you're right. Like I, I, I acknowledge the privilege of being in a, in a cis hetero relationship, but at the same time, when these questions of, of the shame that came really early on as a child, Right that experience I have had, right? If I can remember this moment as a fifth grader where I was shamed for possibly being a lesbian, right? And internalize that and continue to internalize so many different things like, and and now finally in my thirties, kind of wanting to step into acknowledging even for my own self, the expansiveness of my own sexuality to say that I am okay with the fact that I am attracted to more than just men, it's a lot. It's a lot for me to kind of grapple with. And to, I mean, this is, I think this is what I've even been afraid to say publicly is like, if we, if I were to really, if I were to have to go back, I would probably, bisexual would be the thing that makes the most sense to me. But <laughs> So I wanted to say, I love it. I kind of want to ask you the question, but I won't for a second. <laughs> Back to this. I want to say, yeah, I I, uh, I, do think when I publicly put out more in the Instagram world instead of just the academic world that I was mm-hmm. identified as queer, I, I, I was nervous about, and I do think people behind and think things and worry and <laughs> talk to you know, my partner about it. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm pretty sure they would have talked to me about it. But surprisingly, they, no one said nothing. It's like, I'm sure they were kind of like, okay. Um, well, I did get questions from um, my lesbian community friends um, mm. about what that meant. And and I, I, I think I'm clear in saying, you know, my gender, my gender expression, my sexuality is still very femme centric um mm-hmm. i think that's really important to me as a poli- as a political movement you know i think mm-hmm. just like the word feminism is necessary not humanism because mm-hmm. patriarchy has ex- existed for such a long time i still like keeping things femme centric is very important to me mm-hmm. but um so i but 
but I did get questions from them. What does this mean? Like all or nothing, basically, you know, like yeah. questions about my relationship, you know, that I have and everything. Or like are they that. white lesbians? Um, maybe. Yes. <laughs> I say that I say that because I, I do think that there again, you know, there are these traditions, right? There are there is histories there of how people and even within LGBTQ circles. Yeah. Can still be very limiting, right? Can still be very like, you know, and and again, I think we there, there's a larger context of we're all trying to survive a white supremacist patriarchal cis-heteronormative society. Even in our stepping into like these other identities, we still have to survive within these rules. And mm-hmm. so sometimes we perpetuate things in our attempts to be oppositional, right? Yeah, you're right. And my 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 response was, you know, I really identify with the term mujer with an X because I feel like it kind of does what I I I, I connect with that more. And it's connected both to my roots as well as, you know, my gendered, you know, my sexual yeah. expressions and stuff. And then, you know, you're saying about, you know, different levels of violence experience because of cis hetero, you know, white supremacy is really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned like, you know, when we were children mm-hmm. and people were shaming us. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I mean, that leads to big questions, right? Like, yeah. and I think they're okay to ask, like, you know, Bell Hook says, you know, love can't really exist without feminism. Mm. And I like to answer it in a different, like, <clears throat> talk about it in a different way. Like, greater love exists within frameworks of equ- equitable power, you know? Mm. Um, how much of our relationships with people who have the power of male privilege mm. is connected to power versus, like, not versus love, but like love and power, attraction for power, for love, for feeling like there's a, there's a question here about, about our, all our relationships and how closely they are aligned to, to power or love. And I don't want to put those power or love. There's not like a binary there either, yeah, but I, I hear you the way I'm hearing it and the way it's resonating with me is thinking about like being in a relationship with a man maybe gives us proximity to power in a way that we feel disempowered in most places. And I mean, it's so interesting. I have to say that, you know, the other layer of this for me is that I am in a monogamous relationship with a cis man. And I think something I've said publicly on some level, but maybe not this publicly, is that this cis man that I'm married to is the only sexual partner I've ever had, um, which is very strange. But it's a pretty um, bitchin' sexual life. I just want to like <laughs> shout that out. Not I mean, like- I, and so that's the, the other layer is that I am a very sexual person. I am a very... I mean all that fifth house place yeah for sure I'm a very sexual person that enjoys and desire like it's a need it's a basic need for me like I cannot I'm so I love having these conversations but it's making me nervous it makes me want to just eat um and 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 I'm very sexually I am very like I feel I'm pretty courageous in that sense, you know, um, in that, like, 
I give, like you said, given the ways that we grew up, right. Given the ways that I grew up in Catholic church and all the shaming, all the, all of that. And yet I was able to somehow come out of all of that still being like, fuck it. I'm going to be this sexual person that I am regardless of any of that is a lot. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot to say about that, but I, for me, I think that's all it is. The astro- my astrology, like <laughs> I could not deny my sexuality, like in that way, like my sexual desire is just, I can't deny that, you know? And it's not to say that it's like that all the time, because I think there's something to say too about fluidity, about like, you know, not just breaking out of binary, like queering sexuality is not just about breaking out of binaries, but recognizing that, it's never stagnant in any one time or place, right? That it can change as the seasons change, as our lives change, and it can become more expand. Like it's just, it's not fixed in any way, shape or form. And I think that that's, um, you know, and so, yeah, so my, you know, even my sexual desire can fluctuate depending on what's going on in, in life, but yeah, for the most going on part- in life, Going on in our cycles, going on in our bodies, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But for the most part, I am a very sexual person that desires that as a central part of my life. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm like, I don't know if Tommy would be <laughs> like, I do feel <laughs> like just, I mean, here's the thing, like you, when you see representations of marriage, like of cis um hetero marriages, there is often this idea of like somehow sex goes away. Right. Or it's boring or like you're just not having sex as often. And I was like, I could never live that way. (laughs) Like, um, and so I, you know, I mean, I don't know what people do behind closed doors often, but I I do feel like I have a healthy uh sexual um action, I don't know, sexual uh, you know, relationship in that way. Um that for the time being meets my needs and desires. And I think that that's some, so it's like, there's that, there's separate layers, right? It's not that they're different. It's that there's the layer of the literal like sexual activity. And then there is sexual attraction and desires. So Mm -hmm. I feel very fulfilled for the time being (laughs) in my sexual relationship. But that doesn't mean that I don't desire other things. <laughs> Did you hear that, Tommy? The part about being sexually fulfilled? Sorry, probably not. What do you mean? Not, I know I'm like, oh my God, he's going to be so embarrassed. But <laughs> um, I want to say like, like when, like your water that you bring to my life so at the retreat, you know, I was like, I got to cry GD, like, you know, and like, and um, you started sobbing next to me, I think, or like, and I was like, okay, okay. You know, you really also encourage this conversation about sexuality for me. So, and I, but before I talk about demisexual or culture and stuff like that, um, I do feel like you had actually one more thing to say. And I apologize. I mean, I think I just want to name it that I am, I, I do feel very sexually attracted to women. It, which is something again I don't think I've I I can't say in many places um I I I just surround myself I think by a lot of queer folks and queer community or at least people who are on in that 
idea of politicizing sexuality, you know, and, and having a much more expensive idea of sexuality, which has allowed me to step into that and say that in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something I don't, it's not on my like moniker, right? It's not something that I say I am a queer Mm-hmm. so on and so forth because there is still so much fear around what it means to what it means to say that to family what it means to take on that identity even within queer spaces like there's a lot that I'm still grappling through um mm-hmm. at the political level you know with that mm-hmm. but in the personal it's like I do think of my sexuality as much more expansive than heterosexual like that just does not feel like it could encapsulate my my desire, my pleasure, my attraction, anything. It just, it's way too limiting, but there's still fear of like, what does it mean to step into something else? And so I kind of just, the, the way that, the best way that I can identify it at this point is sexually fluid, is like, <laughs> like I just go great. with the flow I'm just like maybe today I'm desiring more men and so and then tomorrow it's like mm, <laughs> that's not cute anymore like so I just that's what I'm that's how I feel I celebrate your sexual <laughs> fluidity I think that's I mean I hear you say that I think it's a big thing for you to say that and yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm yeah I'm so grateful for the energy that you've you've put into naming these things for yourself and then to I I, I think the journey of of coming to that is one that I've I've been more a part of in the last couple of years, you know. I think everyone should have a space, whether it's a podcast or a personal <laughs> friend or a text or a group or a, a mm-hmm. queer resource center. Whereas where I, I think that I've been really helped, um, encouraged by, to be able to speak their truth, um, their truth and this moment, this present moment, you know? Yeah. I will say what you were sharing made me think of the QCRC, the Queer Resource, Queer Resource Center on campus and how in entering that space, the assumption is that everyone's queer, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then when we take time to go in circle and name our pronouns and, and talk about ourselves, there is a, a freedom, a curiosity, mm. a, a safety, you know, and being able to speak to those things there. So I, I, I try to take that energy with me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, who <laughs> doesn't have a lot of fifth house, I think I only have like one fifth house that <laughs> pointed out um, the house of children, but also sexuality, right. Mm-hmm, and things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. A lot Everything of, my, of mine is in the fifth house. <laughs> like all my stuff is in the That's your house. stallium, right? And my yeah, stallium uh-huh. is in the fourth house in Virgo. Um, and yours is, uh, is it cancer in the fifth house mostly? Is it all? Yeah, cancer. Um, yeah, yeah, cancer. Uh-huh. Because my sun and moon are both cancer and both in the fifth house. Yeah. I got a lot of Virgo stuff in, including Venus in the fourth house and but as um, Jessica Lignato, my other astrologer that I follow, was saying, like, your romantic relations up aren't, aren't all dependent upon your moon or your Venus. Mm. There's all these other things to them. But anyways, the fourth house is the house of home and foundation and um, ancestry and stuff like that. And not to say... So I... Let's see. What can I, what can I disclose <laughs> that I feel comfortable with? 
I grew up, you know, I think everyone knows in a, in a cult called the evangelical, <laughs> um, uh, you know, mass media, mass mm-hmm. church, you know, um, mm-hmm. very much an MM, what are they called? Not MMA, but the uh, um, multi, multi-level, you know, MLM, MLM. MLMs. And someone, I feel like in sixth grade, I got a book called Passion and Purity, you know. um, (laughs) Oh, God. Holding hands was not just something the school I went to, uh, you know, talked about leading to sex, but a a close friend called me out on it one time. She's like, what do you think they're thinking? You know, he's thinking or whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't kiss anyone. Until I was 21 and that kiss was taken. Someone kissed me and then I was just like, F that, I guess, you know. Um, (laughs) And I just grew up in this very Puritan world, you know, Mm -hmm. where people weren't going to do anything sexual until they got married and and sex was defined, you know, in these for whiteness and maleness and things. Um, So that it is a journey for me. It is not something I approach like on a, a daily basis. I feel like every time I ovulate, I'm just like, oh, I'm feeling very sexual, you know, like, <laughs> and it's, uh, and I, and I, so I, so I was thinking about identifying as demisexual mm. as someone who is not always sexual, I guess. Um, I, and I was like, oh, that feels really good. And then I think you were the one who was just like, well, is it, and I think you would tag me in some, something someone was talking about, um, is it demisexual oh. or is it like, you know, still recovering from Puritan culture mm-hmm. and, and it's there, there's a question there, you know, um, mm-hmm. I am excited that I am only a 41 year old person with a vulva and a vagina. Cause I feel like my sexual life <laughs> has only um, mm-hmm. great places to go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have had some am- amazing sexual experiences with men and women mm-hmm. finding safe, I love how the word safe, you know, as a, I think as a survivor, it's always like, okay, is it safe first? Yeah. Do mm-hmm. I feel like I can speak my truth? I feel like also in having a kid in the early years, particularly, but even still now, breastfeeding and things, I, traumas that I didn't think were traumas in my 20s and 30s have come back to me as traumas. So I would say I'm a survivor of rape that I never, I never would have said that before. Mm. Um, and that surviving the trauma of the phallus or the penis, that's really interesting, I guess. I don't mm. know. That's a new thing. I've never said that before. And so I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it makes my relationship literally with a body part like very tricky Mm. and with men and people who have that body part very Mm -hmm. tricky Mm -hmm. it requires further a further sense of safety you know Mm -hmm. a further Mm -hmm. sense of um Mm -hmm. I just know there's I know there's so much more Mm -hmm. and I know I'm not tapping into it sometimes or like I also you know want to celebrate how much I have been able to do that in my life. But I, and I, at the same time, I, 
I hope this conversation and then some work that we might be doing together in the future mm-hmm. on sexual liberation with our colleagues who are a lot of them are doing this work. Yeah. I want to, I want to get into those resources. I, I, I know that that's there. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's that sound. That's not weird and strange. And no, like, I oh. think I love that you say, you know, you're 41. And I think I similarly think like I'm, I'm 38 and like, I feel like right like you know like you say we're limited maybe by pandemic or other circumstances to be able to I mean we're limited sometimes by motherhood right Thank to be- you, like last year I bought my first real vibrator ever in my <laughs> oh my to- god welcome to someone whole new world. Like, gonna shout them out yeah shout out to Jasmine Akala for your party thank you um I think that like I feel like rather than saying okay I'm in this monogamous relationship and that's it for me like I'm like I still have a whole life ahead of me and mm-hmm. right now I might feel not ready to explore that but it doesn't mean that I'll never be ready or that I'll never have the opportunity to be able to explore relationship sex desire outside of a, you know a cishet dynamic I I think that I'm 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 confident in feeling like you know, yeah, like there, it, you know, maybe we're just, I think you're right. There's pandemic limitations. There's logistical <laughs> limitations. And that the mothers of young, young kids, right? We've talked about yeah, that. Yeah. And we're, and we're still kind of, and there's still a lot of unpacking of these traumas from our religious backgrounds and toxic masculinity. Like we're still unpacking traumas. Our relationship ra- with our bodies. Yeah. And rather than seeing those as like, oh, fuck, we, like you said, oh, we should have done that when we were younger. I mean, I did make out with a lot of women. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> In my drunken 20s, I'm like, I made out with everybody. But <laughs> um, but I think that like. Live in the dream. Live in the dream. <laughs> I love it. Yes. And I, I will say I similarly felt like. Cause so in my twenties, it was the thing of like, you would get drunk and like make out with your friends. Like, you know, that was the thing. And it, ironically, cause a lot of people I think did that for like the male gaze. I know, I don't think I, we did that. In fact, I think sometimes my girlfriends and I would make out like with like in the corner. So nobody would see us. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I similarly was like, oh, oh, this is nice and different. And, you know, and it was an interesting way because even though I was in a in a relationship there was like that quite and and this could be problematic or whatever but it didn't for whatever reason that didn't count as cheating so I kind of got to explore that in a really interesting way and so anyway so I feel like when we talk about expansion and like the idea of feeling like our sexuality can be much more expansive than you know heteronormative expectations I think that we also can say that we're not like we we can still be at the beginning of our relationship with sexuality and we still have so much more ahead of us so much more room to explore so much more possibility you know i hear that i hear the kids are back too so, <laughs> so briefly i want to say that came up in the writing to our ancestors for for me this last this last session mm-hmm. when we talked about our future selves i could see myself 10 years now i'm 51 i got mm-hmm. my gray hair I, I feel like love and sexuality are a big part of that. And I was like, why 10 years? But 10 years, you know, 
maybe in 10 years time really feeling like I have come into yeah. um, a more sexual person just like saying yeah yeah and so or just more confidence that, that space yeah. to grow yes space to grow <sighs> all right that feels so like, ugh. but I think, um, I think, yeah, this is a conversation that has been on the back burner for us for a really long time and feeling like, I think for me, it was a sense of catharsis, like feeling like I, mm-hmm. I wanted to just say things and, and, and know that it's, there's still so much room, like we said, for growth. And this is where we're at now. Who knows where we're going to be at tomorrow five years 10 years 20 years you know we're dispelling you know the shame we're dispelling some of the fear like there was a lot and I was like that shouldn't be there's something you know that's yeah so thank you Renee yay all right okay thanks for listening thanks everyone (laughs) bye